Do you like free stuff? I do. BlueprintMCAT.com. Go sign up for a free account. Get access to Blueprint MCAT's Diagnostic, Blueprint MCAT's Full Length One, Blueprint MCAT's amazing brand new space repetition platform with over 1,600 flashcards already made for you, as well as their amazing study planner tool. Schedule out the content so you know if you are on track to take the MCAT when you need to. Again, that's blueprintmcat.com for all of those free goodies. The MCAT Podcast, session number 68. A collaboration between the medical school headquarters and Blueprint MCAT. The MCAT podcast is free MCAT prep to help you understand the MCAT, teach you how to break down questions, and give you the skills and confidence to get the score you want on your MCAT test day. Learn more about Blueprint MCAT at blueprintprep.com slash MCAT. Welcome to the MCAT podcast. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, and I am excited to tell you about our new book coming out called The Pre-Med Playbook Guide to the MCAT. Now, I already have one book out called The Pre-Med Playbook Guide to the Medical School Interview. This is going to be the second book in the series, Guide to the MCAT. I just got the manuscript back from the editor. We're working on the cover. We're hoping to have it out soon. You can go to MCATbook.com. Again, that's MCATbook.com and register there. Sign up to get notified when the book goes live. Again, MCATbook.com. Let's go ahead and dive in and talk about some psych questions. Brian, back for some more discrete questions. The last couple of weeks, we've been covering some bio. Now we got, I think, everybody's favorite, not really, psych uh, One of the, I think, oh, it, it always turns out to be one of the hardest sections because we're, we're scientists, right? We want to be doctors and we love science. And then there's this soft stuff called psychosoch. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it's one of those constant comments or complaints that you hear uh, online is people saying, oh, it's basically just like the reading section. I mean, and, and they <laughs> say that as a complaint, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's not. You actually have to know stuff versus the mm-hmm. reading section where you just have to read and yep. extrapolate. I- yeah, I, I would even say it's actually the least like the reading section mm-hmm. because so much of it is just memorizing terms, you know. Do and in fact, that's what we're going to look at now is is a bunch of psychosocial terminology that you have to know to answer these questions. So, yeah. uh, it, it over the past couple of years, it has rapidly become my favorite section. Why is that? Um, because I find it easy, like <laughs> strictly, strictly personally. Okay, I, I find it easy to do and easy to teach. Right, okay. is is mnemonic techniques and just memorizing a bunch. And and MCAT students tend to be really good at memorizing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which historically goes against what the MCAT has always been about: memorizing. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. Everything else on this test is just a wall-to-wall reasoning test. The psychosocial is a nice little dessert at the end of the day where you just get to regurgitate some stuff you've memorized. <laughs> it's it's the the thank you for for suffering through the rest of the test. Now here's some some bread and butter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the mint on the way out of the restaurant. <laughs> nice, one of those good Andes mints from the Olive Garden. Those are good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. All right, so. Question 10 here. So this handout, if you go to the show notes for this page or this podcast, you can follow along with us on the handouts. Start here with question 10. A sociologist investigating the efficacy of a newly implemented breast cancer screening tool and how it has impacted healthcare 
delivery for all women in the country would best achieve this goal by conducting a A, repertory grid test, B, Weber test, C, Cochrane review, or D, power analysis? What do you think, Ryan? Uh, the only one I've ever heard of is a Cochrane review, so that's what I'll go with. And that's the right answer. See? Right? Look at that. There you go. A, a Cochrane review is just a way of of uh, doing a systematic review of primary research in healthcare. And so if you were researching all you know, breast cancer research for a screening tool, a Cochrane review would exactly be it. And Ryan, you just said something real important that I recognize this, um, so I'm going to go for it. That's obviously not foolproof, but MCAT students should definitely trust their instincts, right? If if something looks familiar to them, it's probably because they saw it while they were prepping. So it's actually more likely to be the right answer. Whereas if something is completely mystifying, I've oh my gosh, I've never heard of that before. You know, that doesn't mean something's wrong, but it's definitely a strike against an answer choice. For so so my gut was this is the only one I've kind of heard of. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to waste any time, so I'm just going to go with it. Is that a, a, an okay strategy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, w- I mean, you have to answer every question. So at some point, you need some sort of rationale, and you just got to keep moving. Even if the rationale is shaky, uh, you know, the, there's this is question number 10. You know, there's 49 more questions to do, so you got to keep moving. And you have to, just to expand on that, you have to answer everyone, not specifically because you have to, but there's no reason not to leave a blank one because you're not marked for wrong answers, only correct answers. Yeah, blank is wrong, so you may as well take a guess. Yep. Yep. Okay. Um, just, to, just, just for the listeners, a quick run through on the other answer choices here. The repertory grid test is a kind of individual psychology test. Uh, sort of a personality assessment would be one way to put it. It has nothing to do with kind of a systematic review of a breast cancer screening tool. A Weber test, uh, some some listeners might recognize Weber from the just noticeable difference, Weber's law that relates to sensation. Um, that, that's where the Weber test kind of plugs in. It's it's where you play a, a noise in, in uh, each ear at the same time and ask the person, you know, which is louder is a way to test if someone has got unilateral hearing loss or hearing degradation. The only uh, Weber test I know of is like, it's, do I want a gas grill or a, a charcoal <laughs> grill? That's the Weber right. test I know. There you go. Yep. <laughs> um, and, and power analysis, that's statistics, right? That's the statistical yeah. power. You actually do that before the study to figure out your sample size that you need. Yeah. Okay. All right. Let's take a look at number 11. In the last 10 years, the number of practicing doctors in the U.S., who went to medical school in a foreign country has increased at twice the rate of the number of native doctors has increased. The difference in growth is most closely related to which demographic phenomenon? Increasing urbanization, demographic transition, globalization, falling fertility rates. Hmm. Interesting. So increasing urbanization doesn't really make sense to me. Mm-hmm. Demographic transition just sounds like they're trying to play off of your your which to which demographic phenomenon. So it's like, oh, demographic transition. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm going to go with globalization because obviously more people are moving around. Um, uh, air travel is easier and uh, getting into the U.S. used to be easier. And so I'm going to go with C, globalization. There you go, Ryan. Two for two so far. All right. 
Yep. Urbanization, the, the question didn't say anything about urban versus rural. It just said yeah. uh, native-born doctors are increasing, but foreign-born doctors are increasing at twice the rate. Um, demographic transition is actually a very specific thing. Even though it's a generic term, it refers to a specific four-stage process where you start off as a kind of third world country with high rates of birth and death. Then you move to stage two where death rates fall off with better care for infants. And then you move to stage three um, where birth rates fall off as well, you know, with higher socioeconomic status and more education, women tend to delay childbirth. And so birth rate then falls off. And then finally, stage four is your kind of classic, you know, American, Western European, Japan kind of model with both very low birth and death rates. Um, again, no nothing to do with foreign versus domestic. Yeah. Um, and fertility rates, again, the, the, the question stem says, actually that everything's increasing right foreign and native born doctor a uh, number of doctors is going up mm -hmm. uh, so that wouldn't that wouldn't peg to falling fertility rates yep okay all right two for two i was i joked uh we were at the the uc davis conference recently i joked with everybody they're like oh i love the mcat podcast i'm like yeah it's my opportunity to show how how much i've forgotten and they're like oh no it's still good i'm like all right go <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if we ever start a USMLE podcast, that'll be my chance to embarrass myself. Because <laughs> although I I did successfully complete the first two years of med school, you ask me anything on the step one now, and it would just be a total loss. <laughs> All right. So, question twelve: Veterans are typically incredibly supportive of and loyal to others who have served. Most take pride in belonging to a group dedicated to the protection of the U.S., even if they are no longer serving and are happy to be lifelong members of the armed forces. This version of self-identity best fits which category? A, reference group, B, outgroup, C, secondary group, or D, in-group? Now, as a, a former member of the armed forces, um, I, I so here's, I, I'm back to the first one, where there's only one thing that, that pops in my head as something I recognize, and that's reference group, mm -hmm. and that's A. Okay, so that is not right this time. Oh, man. Because each of these, this is the classic thing, Ryan, we've talked about a whole bunch where in, in psych and, soci and, and especially sociology like this one, you get this jumble of words, all of which kind of sound similar and kind of sound like conversational English words. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they don't um, they don't sound super technical like something in chemistry or physics, but they do have technical meanings right there are very specific definitions. So a reference group is a group that sets certain norms against which you compare yourself. And there was nothing in the question about comparing yourself with other veterans. Um, the classic example, and I always find it's easier for my students to remember these psychosocial terms by having a specific example, is knowing how much your salary should be by comparing yourself to your coworkers, right? In that case, other people who have a similar job is your reference group. Oh, and if mm. these people are getting paid, you know, 60 grand a year, that's my reference for whether or not I'm being paid appropriately or not. Okay. An outgroup is just a way of saying the other, meaning a group you do not identify with. Um, so just any group where you think I'm not a member, that's an outgroup. Uh, in this case, the discussion about veterans is all about belonging to the group. So that would be the opposite answer choice D, in-group. So an in-group is any group that you define yourself as a member of. Uh, and this can be everything from very small, like you could say, 
uh, my siblings and I all compose an in-group of people who had to deal with our parents, right? <laughs> I mean, you get up a very, very tiny in-group of, in my case, three people because I have two siblings, um, all the way up to an in-group that includes literally millions or even tens of millions. Or you could say, you know, Americans are my in-group, 300 million people, right? So anything that you identify as a member of your group. Yeah. So that, that's the answer here. And then a secondary group, the, the test does want us to remember the difference between secondary and primary groups. So um, primary groups are long-lasting. They tend to be intimate, you know, emotionally intimate. Um, and they tend to be formed um, for kind of your whole life and not for a specific purpose. So, I, again, it's always good to have examples. The classic primary group is your family. Right. You didn't, the family wasn't formed to achieve a particular purpose. It lasts your whole life. There's bonds of emotional support and trust there. A secondary group tends to be large, transient, and only formed for a specific purpose. Uh, again, the classic example of a secondary group would be your coworkers at your part-time job while you're in college. Right. You work at a Starbucks. The, the group of employees there was only formed for one purpose, you know, serving overpriced coffee. Um, and you're not kind of emotionally intimate with those people and you work there for a couple of years and you leave. Uh, in this case, um, you know, your, your military unit could absolutely be seen as a secondary group. Um, mm. you know, maybe your individual company unit or company, whatever the smallest, the squad, I don't know what the smallest group is, <laughs> um, fire team. Uh, you know, uh, if there were a small group that lasted a very long time, that might be a primary group. The key thing here between primary and secondary is that the question explicitly says that they have a um, they take pride in belonging to the group, and, and they see that you know being a veteran is a lifelong label for them, right? And so that word "lifelong" was your clue. Oh, this isn't a transient secondary group, uh, but rather uh, some something else, right? So answer choice C is not the right answer. All right. Uh, okay, I'll read number thirteen then. Okay. Which of the following statements? represents an environmental attribution with respect to a driver's failure to stop at a red light. A, the driver believes they are too important to be delayed. B, the driver is a reckless person. C, the driver is generally rude to others. D, the driver is rushing to visit an injured spouse in the hospital. Hmm. So the the answer hinges from reading the question on the environmental attribution. Mm -hmm. So environmental to me is outside of the person. Mm -hmm. And so the driver believing is not outside. The driver being reckless is not outside. The driver being rude is not outside. So therefore I would choose D driver is mm -hmm. rushing to the hospital. There you go. Exactly right, Ryan. So three, three for four on this bunch. The all other, right. a, B, and C, those are all what we call dispositional attributions. So a person is just disposed to behave a certain way. And when we think of attribution theory, that is the reasons we explain to ourselves uh, about why people do what they do or even why we ourselves do what we do, we either, have, we either attribute a behavior, he did this because they have a disposition. He did this because he's a good person. She did this because she's lazy, whatever. Uh, and then there's environmental, right? It's not about the person. It's oh, he did this because in this case, blah, blah, blah. All right, so there you have it. Some psych soch again with Brian from Next Step Test Prep. Go check out mcatbook.com, register 
sign up to get notified when the pre-med playbook guide to the MCAT comes out. It'll be uh, on sale when we first release it. It's a great book. It has some questions in it taken from Next Steps books, some strategy and passages from Next Steps books. It has a ton of information about how to properly prepare and plan for the MCAT. This is not a full content book. This will not replace your Next Step books or whatever books you have. This will help you plan it all out so that you're not just cramming all the content in your face and forgetting about all of the small details that will help you get the best score possible. So go check it out, mcatbook.com. Have a great week. We'll see you next week when we talk some physics. 